0: Welcome once again everyone to the 50 years ago in hockey podcast and this is a bit of a milestone for us this week. This is our 75th episode each week right here on the hockey podcast network. We take a trip back in time to bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago exactly as it happened, in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. And this week, we're in the final week of the 1970-71 hockey season, March 30th to April 4th. 68 teams started the tournament and only the best have survived, and upsets have abounded more shocking and unpredictable than ever before. DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is $100. To one odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers daily odds boosts on pro basketball hockey, golf, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can depend and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code THPN to turn a $1 dollar into $100 for a limited time only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, and this is for new customers only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, one 800 9 with it and don't forget our other two sponsors newspapers.com the world's largest online newspaper archive and of course the breakwall brewing company located in beautiful downtown port Colvern, ontario And if you like what we do here and what we do every day on Twitter, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's show, but we have some very special uh, bonus content that only the subscribers will get. And uh, right now, our series on the death of Terry Sawchuck is being given to our subscribers. And uh, it's some pretty interesting stuff. A lot of things that we hadn't heard in the past. 50 years ago so this is it the final week of the 1970 71 nhl schedule playoff matchups are confirmed and the beginning of the stanley cup playoffs is going to be just days away here's what we have in store for you in this week's show we'll of course talk about uh the news of the big games of the week uh when the canucks slaughtered the seals in vancouver it solidified something most of us knew was happening and solidified it once and for all and for the first time anyone can remember an opposing player is given a night in Maple Leaf Gardens and we'll tell you all about that so let's begin the week with the news and the notes from around the NHL the week began with a pretty interesting statement from Montreal Canadiens coach Al McNeil who was talking about his team's 9-2 drubbing of the woeful Detroit Red Wings in Montreal on the weekend. Al explained his reasoning for running up the score on the Wings and he dropped a pretty interesting hit on the, on the Habs playoff plans. Al said that team was in trouble And we wanted to beat them big to really show something to the rest of the teams in the league. He said the Habs toyed with the disorganized visitors and their young goalie Jerry Gray. Still a few guys are showing something that may help us cause a few surprises in the playoffs some of those young guys that mcneil is referring to in this statement include forwards bobby sheehan and phil roberto and the shocking efficiency of rookie goalie ken dryden just a year removed from college hockey could any of these young men play a role in the playoffs well stay tuned because next week we're going to start to find out The Vancouver Canucks slaughtered the California Golden Seals on the weekend going into this week by a very non-hockey score of 11-5 on Sunday night. And that was a game that was basically a microcosm of the entire SEALs season. That loss ensured that California can finish no higher than having the worst record in the National Hockey League for 1970-71, and that's quite an accomplishment when you consider the ineptitude of the Detroit Red Wings. Ordinarily, this would call for at least a minor celebration on the part of the losers, as it would mean in any other year that that last place team would have the very first pick in the June amateur draft but that isn't going to happen for the California Golden Seals and in the infinite wisdom of their former management they traded away their first round draft picks for this and the next several seasons including the one for this June and a player who could quite conceivably save this moribund franchise will not be available to the seal the already stacked with young players powerful montreal canadians own the california pick as a result of a curious set of transactions whose details aren't even clear to the uh, seals present general manager and coach fred glover in fact fred was asked about how the team could have given up uh these draft picks and he told he told reporters he didn't really even know. In any event, the rich teams, Boston, who owns LA's Peck, I believe, Montreal, the rich will get richer and the poor will maintain their level of hockey poverty. And the sports fans in the Bay Area are going to continue to flock to events such as roller derby and professional wrestling instead of watching the California Golden Seals. And you can't really blame them. And that, my friends, is business as usual in the National Hockey League in 1971. And has it really changed that much 50 years later? Dave Gardner of the Toronto Marlboros was named the winner of the Red Tilson Memorial Trophy this week. Uh, Being a Niagara boy, I thought Marcel Dion should have got it, but let's talk about this award a bit. Dave is a slender splinter from an old block of hockey talent. The son of the former National Hockey League star Cal Gardner, the Marlboro Centre just barely nosed out Marcel Dion of the St. Catharines Blackhawks in a vote of the Ontario Hockey Association Major Junior A League Sportscasters And sports writers. And you gotta wonder, back at this time, not long after the October crisis in Quebec, the murder of uh, Pierre Laporte, the kidnapping of James Cross, you gotta wonder if there was a little uh, bias against a French Canadian playing in Ontario that got Dave Gardner, who's a member of one of hockey's old guard families, Cal Gardner's son. You wonder if that maybe might have affected the vote in 1971. Now this is the first time in 14 years that a Toronto player has won the award which is presented by the Globe and Mail annually to the player who best combines outstanding and gentlemanly play in the Junior A group. The last Toronto winner was Frank Mahovlich of the St. Michael's Majors in 1958 and the only previous Toronto Marlboro winner was George Armstrong way back in 1950 before I was even born in this year's polling Peterborough goalie John Garrett was third uh, followed by Montreal defenseman Jocelyn Gaverma and Peterborough forward Craig Ramsey Montreal left winger Richard Martin who set a record of 71 goals this season finished sixth barely ahead of teammate Robert Lalonde the only other player to get more than one vote was Ottawa goalkeeper Michelle Bunny Larocque. Some very interesting names dot the list of previous winners of the trophy, which was first awarded in 1945 to Doug McMurdy of St. Catharines. Others who picked it up were Todd Sloan, Ed Sanford, a goalie by the name of Gil Mayer, who went in a listless minor league career. Glenn Hall of Windsor in 1952. Uh, there was Brian Cullen of the Chicago Blackhawks. As we mentioned, Frank Mahovlich, Murray Oliver of Hamilton was a winner, along with Stan Makita, Wayne Connolly of Peterborough, Rod Bear of Guelph, Pitt Martin of Hamilton, Yvan Cornuier of Montreal, and we go down the list, there's even more. Andre Lacroix of Peterborough won it twice, the only player to do so, and the 1970 winner was Gilbert Perrault of the Montreal Junior Canadiens. When you're talking hockey in 2021 and you read this story, people are saying, well, this is just old-time hockey. When you were talking about it in 1971, it was just another Sunday afternoon in Sudbury, Ontario. The Sudbury Rolls defeated the Port Arthur Mars 5-2 to in a game declared ended with more than four minutes to play because of a 35-minute Donnybrook in which players fans, and police all were involved. Referee Brian Hill said he had to call the game because otherwise he would have had to give every player on both teams game misconducts. By the time the fight erupted, Hill had already handed out 32 penalties, not penalties in minutes, 32 penalties, each team getting six fighting majors, two game misconducts, and two misconducts. The fight began with just four players from each team on the ice. It was centered at first near the Port Arthur net, but then both benches emptied onto the playing surface. The seven players already in the penalty box started to fight amongst themselves and they ended up on the ice. So approximately 50 fans went over the boards onto the ice. Town police were called in when the arena's nine security guards couldn't maintain order by the time 20 town constables arrived the fight appeared to be breaking up but then it broke out again when a mars player cross-checked a town constable arrests ensued moving to the national hockey league president clarence campbell is deathly afraid of the terrible influence sports gambling will have on professional hockey. And Doug Gilmour of the Montreal Gazette gave us this report. He said that Clarence Campbell will not be a very happy man if the Quebec government, or any government for that matter, stampedes into off-track betting business and decides to expand and take action on hockey as well as horse racing if that ever happens the president of the nhl explained pausing a moment to consider the enormity of the event it is bound to have a profound influence on the game campbell says that hockey's position has always been that they wanted to stay as far away from any kind of gambling as they possibly could Sure, it goes on, everybody knows that, and it's probably as inevitable as prostitution. Interesting comparison. But they need the gambling to raise much-needed tax money. Campbell says, I'm not even going to say I'm opposed to the idea without hearing more about it. So is he really opposed, or is Clarence Campbell trying to be be politically correct to uphold the NHL's squeaky clean apparently to some people image. Campbell goes on to say anything that encourages or authorizes gambling such as a system run by the government Has to be detrimental to any competitive sport Look, we've got a game where there are a lot of upsets I can just imagine the clamor that would be set up by people Who made bets in government shops And once the government got involved It would only be right that they reserve the right to have investigative powers Over the sport And the NHL, nor any other big sport Wants anybody other than themselves Policing themselves So in 1971, it didn't look like hockey would ever be involved in anything remotely related to any form of gambling. That included hockey pools. But yet, you know, the very popular time of the last goal pool that uh, was run out of the Montreal Forum for years, they overlooked that kind of thing. Then, of course, there was a scandal involving that about a year ago, wasn't there? Maybe Campbell's right. Maybe gambling has no place in hockey now 50 years later with the benefit of hindsight we know quite a bit different don't we Well, there's a lot of talk around the NHL this week about the final order of finish in the NHL's Western Division. Many writers, more than just a few, were wondering whether the Minnesota North Stars would even bother to try in their final games. And that's all because of the goofy playoff setup that the NHL employs these days. Well, it's been going on for years. You see, it seems it would be much more advantageous for the North Stars to finish in 4th place rather than 3rd in the standings. Why, you may ask? Well, in the NHL playoff setup, the 4th place finishing team faces the 2nd place finisher in their division while the 3rd place finishing club goes up against the divisional champion. Quite a reward for finishing 3rd, wouldn't you say? That means in this year's uh, competition finishing third awards the team the privilege of playing round one in the western division against the all-powerful chicago blackhawks who ran away with the title over in the west while the fourth seeded team gets the st louis blues obviously a vastly inferior team The Blackhawks. So, realistically, and for all practical purposes, the North Stars had absolutely no incentive to finish higher than fourth place, except for a few measly shekels difference in the finishing award money between third and fourth. It's not much. Let's not talk about the fans who are going to pay good money in that final week of the season to possibly see less than the best from the teams whose ticket prices are not at all that cheap. This is just another example of how the National Hockey League throughout history, never seems to get it right. They always make a mess of it somehow. It was true in 1971, and 50 years later, look around at the way things are going on, it's still true, perhaps even more so. But to talk about that is the job of some other podcast, not our podcast today, although I will say this week, the firing of Tim Peel, the referee, who, by the way, I felt was not even qualified to be in the NHL despite everybody saying he's a wonderful official. He was just one of a bad lot and his main claim to fame is that he lasted so long. Wednesday, March 31st, 1971, was the 43rd birthday of two men I respect the most in the world, I think. Gordie Howe, one of the greatest men in any sport was celebrating his big day at an age when most athletes professional or otherwise would kick back with a beer or a fine wine and remember all the good times but Big Gordy in 1971 continued on as one of the finest hockey players on this planet. The other man who's celebrating his 43rd birthday on that day was my father, Alan Douglas Cole, Doug to all who knew him. One of these days, I'll do a podcast on my dad, a life in which there are some very good lessons to be learned. But today, I'll leave leave you with what he used to tell me about his birthday. My dad was, like myself, a big hockey fan. He introduced me to the game, and he would always, when we talked about hockey and Gordy Howe and him sharing a birthday, my dad would say that on March 31st, 1928, God played a very nasty joke on the rest of us here on earth. Instead of doing what God usually does and distributing various amounts of talent to all who were born on that particular day, on this particular day, for some particular reason, God took all the hockey talent in the universe and he dumped it in one guy, and that one guy wasn't me. And on this night, the Red Wings, for whom Mr. Howe in some way has managed to excel despite the hot, stinking mess that that team has been this season, this night, Howe would play at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. And on this night, the host Maple Leafs declared it to be Gordie Howe night and for the first time that we or anybody else I talked to could remember an opposing National Hockey League player would be honored at Maple Leaf Gardens before a game against the beloved Maple Leafs. There isn't really much greater tribute that can be paid to an active professional athlete is there? Oh yes and by the way the city of Toronto also declared March 31st 1971 to be Gordie Howe day. And the game itself was played. Not a tremendously exciting game, and quite fittingly it ended in a two to two draw. While taking part in the festivities for Gordy Howe Day in Toronto, a lot of people asked Gordy about the possible future of his two sons. Mark and Marty well Gordy let it out that the two boys may possibly suit up in the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series next year with the Toronto Marlboros Gordy and wife Colleen say the deciding factor on where the boys play will be education Marley's general manager Tommy Smythe thinks his team has a leg up on the competition in that regard Smythe said we can offer them more in the way of a good education than any other team, and I think we have an excellent chance of getting the boys for the Marlboros. Lots of people telling Gordy Howe stories on this day, and Jim Vipon of the uh, Toronto Globe and Mail, their longtime sports editor, had this gem. Gordy who is a proud handsome man is unnecessarily self-conscious about his blinking. He doesn't have the normal amount of fluid in his tear ducts an unimportant deficiency, which causes him to blink his eyes. His slight twitch isn't nearly as noticeable as he believes it to be. The public dismiss, dismisses it affectionately as the idiosyncrasy of a very great man. Nevertheless, Vipon says, uh, tells a story about how it was taking a face off one night and the opposing centerman was blinking at him furiously as they faced one another. As the puck was dropped, Howell raised his stick and he gave the opposing centerman a resounding two hander on the ankle, almost disabling the kid. When he got to the bench, Alex Delvecchio looked at Gordy and said, Why'd you put the lumber to that kid? When Howie turned to the bench, Gordy said he was mocking me. Alex replied, Gordy, he's got uh, too much sweat in his eyes. He's been doing that for years. Haven't you ever noticed? Well, it seems to be Alex Delvecchio rumor season these days. Last week, we told you there were whispers that Fats was going to be dispatched during the offseason to the Los Angeles Kings in a trade which would reunite him with former boss Sid Abel. Alex would be either a player or a player coach of the Kings. This week, another uh, story was making the rounds. It was being reported in Niagara Falls, I remember this was big news around our area, and also it was being reported in Windsor that Alex and Gordie Howe were about to partner up and purchase the Niagara Falls Flyers of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series. What would then happen is the uh, Red Wings players would then move the Niagara Falls Flyers to Windsor and Alex would take over and run the day-to-day operations of the team as coach and general manager. It only took a day or so for both Gordy and Alex to dismiss the story as some made-up dream of an over-enthusiastic small-town sports writer. I report this next story simply because today in 2021 we take uh, take for granted the fact Every minute of every single game Is going to be on television Twas not so 50 years ago When the headline of this story is all Leaf Ranger playoff games on TV. And the story reads that all Leafs playoff games against New York Rangers will be televised. The CBC announced today. They had to have a press conference for it back then. Next Wednesday's opener in Toronto will be shown on a mini network, including Toronto, London, Wingham, Barry and Windsor, while the first Boston-Montreal game will be carried coast to coast. The following night, the Leafs match would be shown nationally and Canadians would be covered only in Quebec. So that's not terribly different, different games being shown nationally as opposed to a regional network. Uh, One thing to notice about this, you may not have uh, noticed when I said this, is the games were being played on consecutive nights. Never happens in the playoff world of today. Quite often, Today in 2021, there are far too many days between games, especially in playoff series and and the way they schedule things. Uh, Sometimes you have a week before a playoff series will even start after the others finish. And that's not good for teams. When you're in the playoffs, you want to get at it every night, except, of course, when you're injured a little bit. And it seems players get a lot more hurts that we find out about these days than we did 50 years ago. In this year's Stanley Cup playoffs, there will be 15 masked men and one who has choose the facial protection for the eight teams that have qualified for the Stanley Cup tournament and Francis Rosa of the Boston Globe gives us a brief profile of each of these netminders and what to expect as the playoffs unfold before our eyes. Francis starts with the Montreal Canadiens who of course will be his beloved Boston Bruins opponents. He says that Rogie Vashon a five-seven pound 25 year old shoots left. He's a stand-up conservative type of goalie who lately has taken to wandering from his net a bit more. Rosa says that because Vashon is small, he should be really staying in his net to prevent uh, high drives from beating him, and he has to stand up as well. Rosa also talks about Ken Dryden, who's the probable... Montreal backup goalie at this point, he seems to have replaced Phil Mir as the number two man on the Montreal depth chart. Dryden is described as a spread eagle type, sort of in the manner of Tony Esposito of Chicago or the Blues Glenn Hall. Former Cornell goalie who's relying less on his glove and more on his feet than he did in college. The Bruins men are Jerry Cheevers 30 and Eddie Johnson 35. Cheevers is a wanderer who likes to handle the puck and does that very well. He moves to charge the pucker skaters and he'll drift back cutting the angles. Eddie Johnson is a 6 foot 190 pounder who shoots left. He's a very conservative stand-up goalie who plays to cut down the angles and he doesn't come out of his crease so much. Something Francis Rosa seems to always dwell on is how much a goalie comes out of his crease. Very interesting. The Rangers pair 35-year-old Eddie Jackman, a 5'11, 175 pounder, and 30-year-old Gilles Villamere, a 30-year-old rookie this year. Jackman is the best puck-handling goalie in the league, a genius wanderer. Fans of the Maple Leafs would dispute that, having Jacques Plante, probably the best puck-handling goalie to this point in history. Emil Francis says that uh, Jackman is like another defenseman the way he handles and passes the puck. He's always on the move. Gilles Villamir, uh he was uh, described as a stand-up goalie. He plays deep in the net and he doesn't crouch because he's short. Rosa talks about Toronto's two goalkeepers, 42-year-old Jacques Plante and 26-year-old Bernie Parent. About Jake the Snake, Rosa writes, uh, not leaving the crease much in these twilight days of his career. Once again, this overall theme for Francis Rosa is whether you stay in the crease or not. He's masterful at playing the angles, seasoned, and with a knack of rising to occasion, jocks at his best in the playoffs, according to Francis Rosa. About Bernie Perrant, Rosa says he's a stand-up conservative goalie, an almost classic copy of Jacques Plante, who, as we all know, was Bernie's idol growing up in Montreal. Chicago uh, has only one goalie listed here. Uh, It is Tony Esposito. Uh, They do say that Ken Brown is the backup Of Esposito, the description is a spread eagle, flopping type goalie who seems to throw his body in all directions in front of the net. He goes down quickly, but has that extra sense that tells him where the puck is going to be going. He looks almost as though he's scrambling, but Tony always knows where the puck is. And of Ken Brown, Rosa says he's 22 years old, 5'11", 175 pounds, and he shoots left and that's all he knows about young Ken Brown. Philadelphia's two goalkeepers are Bruce Gamble, 32, and Doug Favell, same age as Pront, 26. Gamble, a 5'9", 200-pounder, shoots left, and he is described as a conservative goalie who holds his spot, doesn't often move out to the skater, prefers to cut down the angles from the crease. Uh, I think Francis is a little bit unclear on how goalkeepers cut down the angles. Doug Favell, a 5'10", 172 pounder, uh, he's an up-and-down type. They call him a flopper, and he likes to handle the puck, and Doug's main uh, claim to fame, his best uh, attribute, according to Francis Rosa, is he is very quick. St. Louis Blues have a couple of fellows who are no spring chickens. Glenn Hall is 39 uh, a left handed shot. He's a classic sprawler, according to Rosa. He throws his legs in both directions and, like Plant, plays best when the money is on the table. Throwing his legs in both directions is what we described 50 years later as the classic butterfly style. The other St. Louis goalkeeper is Ernie Wakeley, another 30-year-old rookie this year. He's a conventional crease-loving goalie, doesn't wander much, and he likes to hold his spot. And finally, the Minnesota North Stars, who have two great names between the pipes as they go into the playoffs. Cesar Maniego is 32 he's a sprawling goalie whose uh, size enables him to use this style of sprawling effectively if you ever watch Caesar it seemed like he was all arms and legs a lot like uh, Ken Dryden uh, this style and this size allows uh, Caesar to crouch or as Rosa puts it play low. Gump Worsley, 41, 5, 7, 180 pounds is the other North Stars goalie in the last goalie we're profiling in this segment. Gump uh, doesn't wear a mask. He's called a stand-up goalie. That's right. He plays deep in the net, according to Rosa, and he knows the angles. Well, the Gumper is just a guy who's a little unconventional, not a big guy as well. Got to stand up and, uh, what you don't know about Gump is that he comes up in the big games pretty well as all. So that is Francis Rose's look at the the 15-16 goalkeepers who are going to man the Nets in the playoffs this year. I wanted to put it just to give you an idea of how writers in the United States and Boston, uh, in particular, and Francis Rosa, view goaltending. It seems the most important thing, according to Mr. Rosa, is whether you stay in the goal crease or not. Doesn't talk much about how they stop the puck. <laughs> And so the National Hockey League season came to an end on April 4th, and the final standings looked like this in the Eastern Division. The Boston Bruins were on top with 121 points, 11 ahead of the New York Rangers. The Montreal Canadiens came in third, the Maple Leafs were fourth, and then missing the playoffs in the East in this order were the Buffalo Sabres with 63 points vancouver 56 and one point behind them the sad sack detroit red wings in the western division the chicago blackhawks literally ran away and hid from the rest of the division finishing with 107 points third best in the league the blues were second 20 points behind chicago Philadelphia edged out Minnesota for third place. The two teams actually met on the final weekend, and the Flyers clinched third with a 3-2 win over the uh, North Stars in a game in which neither team really seemed to want to be victorious. The uh, final three positions in the Western Division were the Los Angeles Kings with 63 points, the Pittsburgh Penguins won back them with 62 And way back at the bottom, the California Golden Seals with a paltry 45 points in 78 games. Phil Esposito was the runaway scoring leader as he ended up with 152 points on equal totals of 76 goals and that number of assists. Back in second place, 13 points Behind his teammate Phil was Bobby Orr of the Bruins. 37 goals, 102 assists for 139 points. Bruins players finished third and fourth. They were John Busick and Ken Hodge before Bobby Hull of Chicago and Norm Olman of Toronto took up the next Two spots. The Vesna trophy for the uh, goaltending duo with the top goals against per game average was won by the New York Rangers, Jills Villamere, and Eddie Jackman. The playoff matchups look like they're going to be some pretty interesting series. The Bruins will take on the Montreal Canadiens. Boston, of course, has the, the home ice advantage in the series. And this one people are calling a slam dunk but we won't get into all the predictions that are being out there but the consensus is Boston should have no difficulty dispatching Montreal and anybody else they meet before they get to the finals. Second place New York takes on fourth place Toronto and the Rangers one would think would be heavily favored to beat the Maple Leafs. A surprising number of writers are indicating that if there's going to be an upset at all in these Stanley Cup playoffs, it will be by the Maple Leafs against the Rangers. And even though the Rangers, a goaltending duo, won the Vezina Trophy, the observers are saying that Toronto will pull off the upset because their goalkeeping uh, tandem of Bernie pront and Jacques Plant might just be a little better than what the Rangers have. The Western Division Series has first place Chicago taking third place Philadelphia. And about the best we can say about this is the Flyers have four games left this season. The uh, final series uh, of the first round will have the Blues and the North Stars meeting. And we have to tell you the way the North Stars came on near the end of the season and the way the Blues have kind of faltered, this one is a toss-up. Some other quick notes about the end of the season. Now, here's something a lot of people, you wonder how good a season the Bruins had and why they might just cruise to their second straight Stanley Cup victory. Well, the Bruins set 32 National Hockey League records on this season. Boston Globe columnist Harold Case calls the Bruins perhaps the best team ever but if you know Harold Case and most of the other Boston writers nothing has changed in 50 years Jack Edwards is the biggest homer in hockey media these days although the guys from Chicago in night in 2021 might give him a run for his money Harold Case uh was gushing over just how great the Bruins are and he couldn't see any other team even coming close to what the Bruins have done this year or being this good ever again. But we do have a story about the Bruins setting all these records and it's from United Press International. It's pretty much uh, neutral on who... uh, they root for and their story says that when the adding machine stopped clicking hours after the Bruins 7-2 victory over Montreal Canadiens in their final game of the season the Hockey Hall of Fame collected five sticks in the Boston dressing room to mark the most prodigious scoring feats in NHL history. Phyllis Pizzito showed the way with nine individual records which of course figured in the 14 team records set by the Bruins machine. Esposito's record 76 goals and 152 points played a major role in the club's mark of 399 goals wiping its own two-year-old record of 303 in a season. Esposito with Ken Hodge and Wayne Cashman combined for four one-line records in goals, total points, uh, while Espo had a mark of seven hat tricks in a season. And even though we don't know what the future holds here in 1970-71, you got to think that mark is going to be one that would be very difficult for anybody to live up to. Now, as a team, the Bruins weren't content with simply breaking uh, existing records they absolutely destroyed them the previous high for victories in a season was 46 this year the Bruins were the winners in 57 games now of course we had 78 games in the season there were only 70 up until the 67 68 season so they had eight more games than uh, the great teams uh, in other years but still they obliterated that record The previous mark for points was 103 and Boston accumulated 121 this year. And the same was true for home wins, 33 to break a record of 29 and road victories. They had 24 road wins against the old record of 20. The Bruins really ran wild in the shorthanded goal department, rolling up an incredible 25 on the season including a pair of long-haired Derek Sanderson in the uh, Sunday wineup. up He scored two in that final game. The previous record for shorthanded goals by a team in a season was 14. You want to know just how much of an offensive juggernaut this Bruins team was? Four Bruins players scored more than 100 points. 10 Bruins had more than 20, 20 goals or more, Bobby Orr rolled up 102 assists and 139 points, which, of course, those are all records for a defenseman. And five years ago, you wouldn't even dream this could happen. Left-winger John Busick and right-winger Ken Hodge both entered the record books for assists and points for their positions. Those records, by the way, wiped out the names of a couple of guys uh, called Gordie Howe and Bobby Hull from the record book in the process. In one final record, the Bruins also managed a team mark for home attendance of 584,748 fans who fought their way into Boston Garden during 39 home dates. That mark was 20,000 over Boston's previous high, which was set one year earlier so maybe with all this it's not surprising that the Boston Bruins are expected by most people to romp through the Stanley Cup playoffs with little difficulty and hoist the Stanley Cup for the second time in as many years another note on the final standings the Red Wings faces were understandably particularly red as they finished dead last in the eastern division behind both of the 1970s new expansion teams the buffalo sabers in fifth place and vancouver in sixth how embarrassing is it for one of the league's most storied franchises to be the worst in the division that had two brand new teams in it? and one final story is the week came to a close and it involves a team that was not going to participate in the postseason parties the word in Pittsburgh came out that another disappointing year would end with news that former Philadelphia Flyers president Bill Putnam would head a group that was going to purchase the Penguins this would bring some much-needed stability to a very troubled franchise and Putnam insisted that they would not move the Penguins out of Pittsburgh but just remember this Putnam is a New York City banker and in the fall of 1972 there will be a brand spanking new arena seating about 14 15, in Long Island New York the Nassau County Coliseum and the people at the Nassau County Coliseum have said that they are not going to have minor league tenants they want an NHL team in that rink. Putnam's in New York. The Penguins, for now, are in Pittsburgh. Could they be moving to Long Island? Time will tell. So that's our show for the final week of the 70 71 season, everyone. And what did we learn in this very eventful week? Well, we learned that Gordie Howe is held in just as much esteem in Toronto as he is in Detroit and I would venture everywhere else in the National Hockey League holds Gordy in just as high esteem. Uh, We learned the first round playoff matchups were set and the bookies and others were setting the odds and hoping that there wouldn't be too many many, uh, upsets and we learned about the records that the Boston Bruins set throughout this season. One other thing that came to our attention was an off-the-cuff statement from Al McNeil that didn't get too much attention, but he said that the Habs had some surprises and it would turn out that McNeil was being very prophetic. In next week's show, here are some of the stories we're working on for you. Gordie Howe will have some news on his possible future in the National Hockey League. Gordie uh, will talk about whether he'll play or not. Before the series uh, even had started, Boston writers were reporting that the Montreal Canadiens were already demoralized because they were facing such an offensive juggernaut in the Boston Bruins. And of course, the big news of the week will be the first few games of the opening round of the playoffs, and we will talk all about those as well plus we'll have much much more the 50 years ago and hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole can't thank Andy enough for what he does with this podcast if you're thinking of putting a podcast together you couldn't do any better than to get Andy to help you out with it if you're interested in something like that get a hold of me and I'll hook you up with Andy he's a true media professional The very popular juno nominated Toronto indie rock group The Rural Alberta Advantage provides our introduction and exit music and if you ever get a chance to see them perform live once things open up again, don't miss the opportunity they put on a wonderful live show Other musical pieces and sound effects in this podcast are by Andy Cole as well our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, Toronto Globe and Mail, and, of course, all the fine publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at Hockey 50 years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey Banner and our WordPress site is Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Of course, you can get us on the Hockey Podcast Network Uh, You can get us through your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to have a look at DraftKings if you're interested at all in fantasy sports. They are the best in the business at fantasy sports. Thanks again to everyone who tunes into our show every week. It's going to be an exciting 70-71 playoffs uh, series. And we hope you'll be with us all the way. And on that note... We will see you next time. When the ice breaks.